when it's all said and done, their resume in the Pac-12 might ultimately be the strongest. And they actually, because their resume is the strongest, they probably have the best chance to actually make it in the college football playoff. Hello and welcome to Wednesday, November 9th edition of Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy here with you from Bristol, Connecticut. Just got done a few minutes ago with the college football ranking show. It was a fun show, good time. And we got to finally take a look at the second edition of the college football playoff committee rankings. What did we learn? We'll go through that here in just a little bit. We're also going to take some of your mailbag questions. We did that just a little earlier when I was at home. So when the backdrop changes, it's not the power of TV, but it's the power of TV. Uh, You know, I don't like to dress up. This is like the podcast. So like the fact that I'm in a suit and tie makes me really uncomfortable. So let's cut to the chase. Let's quit messing around. Let's talk about it. All right, let's talk about it. Hey, the committee got it right at the top. It shouldn't really require a whole lot of explanation. The Georgia Bulldogs are undoubtedly the number one ranked team in the college football playoff committee rankings, as they should be, y'all. I mean, it's, and look, we, we didn't have them there, frankly. Uh, I'll be the first to admit their inconsistencies were kind of troubling. But I'll tell you this, when Georgia has to have it, they have it, man. And they dominated. Dominated, we talked. We don't need to talk about the game and rehash. They're number one. They should be number one. There's really no question to be asked. You can make a little bit of an argument between two and three. I might have Michigan, too, as opposed to Ohio State. But you're splitting hairs. It's going to resolve itself. And right now, like we always talk about, like two versus three, all it is is jersey color, right? So maybe Michigan would prefer to wear their white home kits as opposed to you know, the scarlet that Ohio State would wear. I'm, I don't know. I'm of course, it's not going to work itself out. These two teams play each other in a couple of weeks, so I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over that, even though I do feel like the committee, and you can you can tell me I'm crazy here. You can tell me I'm crazy, but I feel like all of us as college football fans, we've kind of gotten to this point where like, if you throw the ball, you're sexy. If you run the ball, you're boring. Like, no, 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 no. You know that it's a lot harder to run the ball than it is to throw the ball, but I digress. Not a huge deal. Maybe that's something we'll talk about down the road. Like, because heaven forbid you have like a great run game. Uh, we've seen teams that can just throw it all over the yard. Hey, put them up there. I think Ohio State and Michigan splitting hairs. Two, three, however you have them, doesn't really matter. At four, I'm not saying my prayers because it's Texas Christian University. I'm saying it because they should have been there last week. At worst, okay, at worst, they should have been five. If you wanted to have them at four, Last week, I might have had a slight argument with you there (laughs) because I would have had Michigan ahead of them. But ultimately, they're finally there now. It took them long enough. Felt like last week, and we talked about this more on Clemson in a minute, felt like last week with Bama, it's like people were kind of looking back at what they've been in recent years, not so much looking at what they are today. Good news is that those things have taken care of themselves. If you're a fan of the TCU Horned Frogs, and there you are. You are in control of your own destiny. But TCU fans are going to sit there, and I know what they're going to say. They're going to say, well, we were number three in 2014 and dropped out after we dominated it. I get it. That was then. This is now. You take care of business the rest of the way. You're in great shape. We should all just say one loud hallelujah. The committee respects the little guy, if you will, even though TCU is not a little guy. They've been really good for like two decades. So TCU in at number four, great spot. Number five, Tennessee is fascinating here. I think this is a very, very interesting spot for Tennessee because, look, I think they're appropriately ranked, I might add. I mean, 
totally appropriately ranked. I mean, you've beaten LSU. You played Georgia pretty – I mean, you you got beaten badly. But either way, you played them closer than Oregon. Uh, Not that we measure losses. Like a loss is a loss is a loss. Not like, oh, well, I didn't lose as bad. Like, no, you lost. But either way, Tennessee's in a great spot. Now, their best win – was LSU or well it was Bama now it's LSU but you also have a win against Bama so you still have wins against two teams in the top nine you're in great shape I think actually after the fact I feel better about Tennessee's candidacy being in the college football playoff as an at-large team that doesn't win their division than I did even before now I don't think there's enough conversation right now about Michigan and Ohio State the loser of that game being in as well but that's a conversation we can have down the road. Let's just see how the game goes before we start talking about the loser still maybe having a legitimate argument to be in the college football playoff. But Tennessee's in great shape. I think they could still get in. They just need a couple things to fall their way. I'll explain what they are here in just a minute. Let's go next to Oregon. Oregon. Is Oregon the team's or the Pac-12's best chance to get in the playoff. You're going to you're going to say yes, they are they're the best team in the Pac-12. Well, I don't necessarily disagree with you. And if they played every single team in the Pac-12 on a neutral site on Saturday, I'd pick Oregon. But I think like most of us and probably like you and like me and like my friends that were on the desk earlier and everybody that's watched college football, it's going to be very difficult for us to be able to move past the fact that they lost by nearly seven touchdowns. Like that is a difficult pill to swallow. Doesn't mean I don't like Oregon. I love Oregon. I think they're great. I think they're a great story of redemption. And hey, Ben, if you play bad week one, like you're not dead. Like you can come back. You can play your way back into the mix, and they have. And deservingly, they're getting some credit where credit is due. But I still think the best argument for a Pac-12 team is the USC Trojans. The USC Trojans. You're going to say, Greg, what? Yeah, I don't like SC either. I think their defense is atrocious. I only say that lovingly. Okay, like I'm not like trying to, you know, I, I lovingly, they, I could find a worse adjective than atrocious, I might add. Like they're opportunistic. Like they've forced turnovers at times. The problem is like, they're not very good, dude. Like, okay, they have some good players. Like we've talked about their players. Like they have some good talent. But they have issues on defense, man. Like I don't like SC that much. Do I think they're the eighth best team in the country? Ah. Are there teams that are ranked behind them right now that I would pick over them? Yes. A handful, I might add. But still, SC, when it's all said and done, their resume in the Pac-12 might ultimately be the strongest. And they actually, because their resume is the strongest, they probably have the best chance to actually make it in the college football playoff. Because right now, can an Oregon, can a one-loss Pac-12 champion Oregon, is their strength of record or resume going to be better than that of a one-loss Tennessee? What about a one-loss Michigan if they lose close to Ohio State? I don't know that. I, I can't tell you that because I think people will always go back to where Oregon got blasted by Georgia in the first game of the season. You know what Ohio State, or excuse me, you know what USC hasn't done? Get blasted. Now, Ohio State's looked very human, If I keep saying Ohio State, I apologize. USC has looked very human 
I'm sorry, it's late at night. We usually tape this show a little bit earlier in the day. So like my brain, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old at home. So like my brain after 8 p.m. doesn't work. Like you guys all, you guys all understand where I'm coming from, right? At least most of you. Like my brain is shutting down as we speak, but we will persevere. Want to know why? Because we have arguments to make. And USC has the strongest argument to make in the Pac-12. Because we have not seen them get blown out. We saw them lose close on the road to Utah, who, by the way, comes in at number 13. Like that's, and by the way, Utah went for two to win the game. Like, did you see Bama drop like a bad habit after they lost on a two-point conversion to LSU? No, they dropped three spots. Like SC at number eight with a one-point loss. If they beat UCLA at their place, I might add. If they beat number 20, Notre Dame, that's where they're at right now. Notre Dame here two weeks from now. Notre Dame might very well be in the top 10, top, maybe not top 10, maybe top 15. Like that's two strong wins. And then you get a chance to play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Like SC has the strongest resume. If in fact it gets to that point. And then UCLA, they sit at 12. That's criminally low, I might add. I mean, I don't get me wrong. Like I, I get it. They, they've beaten number 25, Washington. They've beaten number 13, Utah. To me, I think they should be higher than number 12. Would I have them ahead of Clemson? Yes, I would. Does Clemson have a stronger resume? Yes, it does. So I can understand where they fall in the pecking order. But ultimately, UCLA, I just don't know if there's enough meat on the bone. They need style points, and they can get them. They have the offense to be able to get them. But they need style points. They, they need, first of all, as crazy as this sounds, I love that, that we're in this world of college football. They need to beat USC on the 19th of November. And then they need to root for SC. I love that, right? I love when we have conundrums like this. They need to root for their rival because it benefits their playoff hopes. And then they need to obviously take care of business, avenge their loss against Oregon, and we're off and running. That's how UCLA finds their way into the mix. Bama and Clemson sit at 9 and 10. Is there a path? Maybe we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. A little TV magic, if you will. Clemson, I think more specifically, there's just not enough meat on the bone. Bama, obviously, you play number 11 Ole Miss this week, but is that enough to vault you into the conversation? No. Is there enough on Clemson's schedule to potentially get vaulted up? Yes, you have a good win against NC State, but that's really about it. You have a good win against Florida State. That They're sitting at number 23. You might have a win against number 15, North Carolina, but is that going to be enough to push you up? No. For all intents and purposes, you're done. The rest of the schedule is as follows. Mentioned Ole Miss at 11, UCLA at 12. Like I said, that's ridiculous. How is UCLA sitting at 12? It's absolutely ridiculous. Not saying that UCLA is great or they're God's gift to football, but I mean, last I checked, they won pretty convincingly against the team that's ranked right behind them in Utah. Pretty convincingly. Penn State's at 14. North Carolina, NC State, they're 15, 16. Tulane, Green Wave, they will be sitting there at 17. Big game for Tulane this weekend. Obviously, they're comfortably in the driver's seat to go to the New Year's Six, representing the group of five. I think they're well-positioned. Of course, they host UCF, still have to win the American, so a lot still to play for. If you're Tulane, a lot of meat left on the bone. Texas at 18. Very interesting there because – why? It's not because Texas can really do a whole lot to get within striking distance. No. 
But Texas could very well find themselves in a New Year's Six Bowl game after all. You're thinking, well, hang on a second. What? How? Think about this. I mean, Texas takes care of business this weekend, runs the table the rest of the way, sitting there nine and three. Possible, possible at this point to get into the Big 12 championship game. You win the Big 12, you're obviously in a New Year's Six. But even if you don't, sit there nine and three, you don't make it in the Big 12 championship game. You're still in a position after having beaten the current number four. You're still in position to potentially make it into a New Year's Six Bowl game. So that's big for the Texas Longhorns. Huge. Huge for the Texas Longhorns. Kansas State sits at 1920. Notre Dame, huge, like I said. Notre Dame, I said it on the show earlier, Notre Dame is the most important team with nothing to play for. Like, you're going to say, hang on, what? I mean, like, they are probably not going to be ranked high enough to get to a New Year's Six. They will play on a January 1st bowl game, more than likely, but they're probably not going to be ranked high enough to get to a New Year's Six bowl game. All right, so really, is there's not that much, there's not really a carrot dangling out in front of Notre Dame, like, hey, you win this, you get this. There's, I'm not sure there's enough to get them from 20 into the top 10 to potentially warrant a New Year's Six Bowl invitation. But I tell you what, they can impact an awful lot when it comes to the college football playoff, especially as it relates to the Pac-12. Illinois, they could shake the world up a little bit. They go to Michigan next week. We know Michigan's in great shape, but maybe Michigan's looking ahead to Ohio State. That's an interesting game, and you know Illinois has got to be kicking themselves. Goodness gracious, how do you lose last week? UCF, they go 2-2 lane later this week. That's, of course, for Group of Five supremacy. Florida State, welcome to the ranking Seminoles. Goodness gracious, I love it. Uh, that team, by the way, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised if Florida State's sitting there at 9-3 and three at the end of the season. I'm not saying Mike Norvell needs a statue hung outside Doak, all right? But the guy's done a heck of a job, a heck of a job, especially with that roster where it was a couple years ago. Man, they are playing good football. Kentucky's in at 24, and then Washington rounds out the top 25. Very interesting. You know the one team we didn't talk about? LSU. Maybe we'll hit them here in just a second. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence. The confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear more driven bunch of games in the docket this week that we need to get to but we want to preview a couple right now playoff games that matter but won't necessarily receive top line billing all the games matter okay not just games involving teams that are going to go to the playoff you know us at this show like we love all the games we love all the teams equally that's why ucf at tulane is phenomenal I can't wait for this matchup. I feel like they got absolutely shafted already. I would have loved to have seen college game day there at Tulane. It would have been so cool. But either way, we're in good shape. Should be an awesome game. UCF 
thought there might be a possibility where they're kind of looking ahead a little bit. You know, you got Memphis. Memphis is not bad, but a little bit dangerous. Looking ahead and understanding what could be coming. Of course, Mikey Keene played pretty good in place of the injured John Rice Plumley. Threw for about 220. Three touchdowns. Had the interception, but RJ Harvey continues to be really good as well. He goes for over. 151 and then to lane conversely if you look at what they have right now that was a really impressive win against tulsa tulsa was a team that i thought was a little bit dangerous a little sleepy getting 11 o'clock start you're going to tulsa last week and yet it really never felt as though tulsa was going to get close in that game you look at that combination of running backs with ty j spears and shoddy clayton johnson combining for 263 and a touchdown in the win. They all, I mean, you really look at them. That two-lane team is very, very good. Problem with that two-lane team, though, so far up to this point, been really tough getting after the opposing quarterback. They registered just 14 sacks this year. That's 102nd, 102 in college football. And we look at this outside of Dorian Williams. I mean, he's the guy that's kind of pacing them. He's got four and a half sacks by himself. And been pretty bad with the exception of him as far as affecting the opposing passer. They have done a pretty good job, though, as it relates to giving up yards through the air, 180 passing yards permitted per game, which puts Tulane sitting at number 16 in college football. They did a really nice job of really kind of keeping the ball in front of them, too. They don't give up a lot of big plays, and that's a big reason why I think they're in the position that they're in just 59 plays have gone for 10 or more yards this season. That's 11th in college football. So I think there's a lot to look forward to. However, in the last four games, they've kind of come back to the pack just a little bit. They're giving up 250 plus in the last four games, especially against Memphis and quarterback Seth Hannigan. Uh, so if you look at them, not quite as good in recent weeks. So will the two lane green wave continue on? against a really good UCF team. Can't wait for that game. I think it's one of the most underappreciated and under-the-radar games of the entire season. And then also, not likely a game that's going to be involving college football playoff teams, but it still matters. Why? Because LSU's a slip-up away from potentially being in the spot to relinquish the SEC West crown. So who could potentially be in position to seize said crown? It would be the winner of Alabama and Ole Miss. Ole Miss, of course, just one loss in the SEC right now. Alabama comes to town. Alabama, two losses in the SEC. We know LSU has just one loss, but if they go on the road and lose to Arkansas at 11 o'clock, guess what? This game will be kicking off at 3.30, 2.30 local. Knowing the outcome of that game might very well have an impact on the SEC West race after all. And remember, LSU is a slight favorite, just a slight favorite on the road at Arkansas. So an upset's not totally out of the question. Uh, I'll be on the call for it. So shameless plug. Hope you're watching. <laughs> They're 11 o'clock Central Time on ESPN, LSU at Arkansas. So look forward to be on the call for that one. But if you look at this, man, Alabama has had their hands full at times with some run game stuff. Now, quarterback run has hurt them. Also, deep ball passing has hurt them. And Jackson Dart hasn't really consistently been able to show 
the ability to really take advantage down the field. He's been hit or miss. He's hit some downfield throws, but not to the same extent as Matt Corral did in years previous or even other quarterbacks that have been able to take advantage of Alabama's secondary. It's oftentimes has come down the field. But if you think about Lane Kiffin and you think about this offense, they have at times given Alabama fits. Now, it was a couple years ago. And it was with John Rice Plumley at the helm. Ironically enough, we just talked about John Rice Plumley's new team, the UCF Knights. But he has, of course, he, you know, he spent, Lane Kiffin has, you know, he spent all offseason thinking of ways to be better, more effective, and better at attacking this Alabama defense. Last year, remember, it just wasn't meant to be. They didn't even come close, really. I mean, the defense, for the most part, shut them down, really, from start to finish. Now, a lot of their counter run game, a lot of them creating numbers in the run game, that's going to be of the utmost importance. And if you think that Alabama is going to just fold their tent, I personally don't think that'll happen. I think you're going to get a great effort from Alabama in a game that should still mean an awful lot, especially if LSU falters in the SEC West standings. So a massive one, a massive one there in Oxford, Mississippi at 2.30 Central Time on CBS. There's a bunch of other games I might add. There's a whole bunch. We probably have like 10 or 12 games this weekend. You're probably going to look at the schedule this weekend and say, "Ah, you know, it's not that sexy." Yeah, but you really dive in. I mean, there's some dangerous, potentially tricky spots for a lot of these teams. And a lot of games right now, by the way. I mean, shoot, look at the Big 10 West. And we'll go through that whole division at some point here in the next day or two, that whole division is up for grabs. I mean, completely up for grabs. So many teams with three losses. I mean, there's a bunch of other divisions that are very much up for debate as well. Pac-12 has a three-horse race for the Pac-12 championship crown. You also have Big 12 for TCU. The leading team in the Big 12 goes on the road to Texas as a seven-point dog. Like, There's a lot to take into account this weekend. So a lot to get to, but that's just a couple games that we've kind of circled and we kind of have our eye on that we're going to get to a little bit more later on in the week. All right. We always love being able to interact with you. It's one of our favorite things. It's why we always try to make it a priority at least once, maybe twice in a given week, depending on the workload to try to get into our mailbag, continue to send us great questions at always college football at gmail.com. We so appreciate that. And we look forward to interacting with you more in the future. So let's get to a few questions that we stockpiled here in the last couple of weeks. Coops, kick it off. All right. This one's a fresh one. It's from Will in Atlanta. Do you think the general public will like having Clemson and Alabama both out of the playoffs? First of all, never say never. Okay. I know Clemson has dropped badly in the rankings I know that that Bama has dropped significantly in the rankings as well. Let's not go as far as to say that they're completely out just yet. I, I would say that the, the chances are insanely slim and they need just total chaos everywhere else, but it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. I mean, they still uh, still got to play the games. You still got to see how everything all folds, all unfolds. But man, I, what I've found interesting is the conversation that we've had recently about all right, this is where we're at. The four-team playoff makes every game so meaningful and it makes all these different aspects so meaningful, right? Like I am a four-team playoff idealist. Like in a perfect world, I want you to skate thin ice as we're navigating throughout the college football season. Like I, I think that if you 
fall into the water, so be it, man. You can't just get back up. Like I want it to be impossible, and you have to go either eleven to one, twelve and zero, to basically get into the college football season playoff. Like I want that to be the case. Unfortunately, I'm going to lose that fight, and all of you that are totally against expansion, you're going to lose that fight too. So we might as well just concede defeat. All right, because that's what's coming. So let's start to embrace it. Those that have said the outcome of some of these games don't matter. Au contraire. Here, let me tell you why they do. Because games that once wouldn't matter now matter again. Now, there are there are some games, for, for instance, games involving Ohio State, games involving Michigan this year, games involving Alabama, games involving Clemson from time to time in the last handful of seasons, they wouldn't matter. Because even if they lost, they'd still be within the 12 teams to potentially make the college football playoff. But now we're starting to expand a little bit. Guess what game would be really, really interesting in a 12-team playoff format? Purdue at Illinois. I guess what else would be really, really interesting in a 12-team playoff format? Maryland at Penn State. How about this one? Iowa State at Oklahoma State. How about this one? UCF at Tulane. How about this one? Washington at Oregon. How about this one? Kansas State at Baylor. How about this one? Not just for a 14 playoff, but for a 12 team playoff because both teams could find their way in. TCU at Texas. We know Texas isn't making a 14 playoff, but a 12 team playoff? It's not totally out of the realm of possibility. How about this one? Stanford at or at Utah. Another game that matters. I mean, so. Yes, while it doesn't, if you're a fan of the Blue Bloods, it's great that we're in a position that, oh, hey, the Blue Bloods, you know, they're allowed and afforded the opportunity to screw up more than once and still get into the playoffs. Sure, that's fine. But think about how many more games are being touched by the possibility of playoff contention. So while I know that's kind of this convoluted way to talk about an expanded playoff field, Coobs, and I apologize for not totally answering your question the way you wanted to, we're sitting here, people are celebrating the fact that you know two teams are out, but one, they're not out yet. Two, if they get in, I think we all know just how dangerous they can be. And three, this has only further proven the point that when we get to the college football expansion, these games that now, quote, don't matter for Alabama and for Clemson because they're out of the playoff hunt, guess what? Their games will still matter from this point forward. So I know we weren't trying to go down the 12-team expansion route, but we did. And I think that that's something that I'm very excited about here in the near future, thinking about how many people are saying how unimportant... Al- like People are saying right now, oh, well, Alabama should just fold their tent and start working and play all the young guys start working for next year because it doesn't matter anymore. Does it not? <laughs> like In an expanded field, it still does very much. So I'm excited about the future of college football and where we're heading and just how many games will future in the future will be impacted by what goes down throughout the regular season. Yeah, I think it would be great for a playoff expansion. Um, all right, moving on. Tim in Dallas, another playoff question here. Do you think if everything holds serve and LSU wins the SEC championship that they'll be the first two-loss team to make the playoffs? No, I don't think it's necessarily 100% true. I know we love our playoff hypotheticals, and we're all looking at where LSU is right now, and certainly there's a pathway, right? But I do think LSU still needs TCU to lose. 
Okay, TCU, if they're an undefeated Big 12 champion, I think they're still going to get in. If there's only a one loss in the column for the Pac-12 champion, I think the Pac-12 champion will get in. Here's the bugaboo in LSU's resume right now, is they lost the head-to-head to Tennessee. So, obviously, it, it stands to, to be explained. I mean, if LSU beats Georgia, that's the best win of the college football season by a mile. That's in the SEC championship game. Do I think it'd be very difficult to leave LSU out in that circumstance? Probably. But I also saw in the Big Ten back in 2016, remember this, in 2016, what happened to Penn State? Penn State had two losses, remember? They were really good, and they were playing great football in the final six, seven, eight weeks of the season. And yet in 2016, Penn State was left out of the playoff in favor of a one-loss Ohio State who didn't win the Big Ten. So I'm not suggesting that we're going to get to that scenario right now. What I am suggesting, though, is if it's 12-0 and against, 11 and, uh, against 10-2, and Georgia against LSU, LSU beats Georgia, I could see Georgia still being in at 12-1, and and Tennessee, who has the head-to-head win against LSU, and that wasn't competitive, it was a complete beatdown. Tennessee, if there was a second team to get into the college football playoff, and like I said, that's a huge if, and I don't know if that's going to happen, but if there was a second team to get into the college football playoff from the SEC, I think you can make a really strong case that Tennessee, because of the head-to-head, should, should remain, under all circumstances, ahead of LSU. Fair or unfair, that's just the way some people might explain it. I also think to a certain extent, at what point do we start to acknowledge the possibility of a second Big Ten team getting into the college football playoff? Okay, well, let's say Ohio State beats Michigan in a thriller. Thriller, okay? Michigan comes up just a little bit short, but they're 11-1. And they are runners-up in the the Big Ten East. No one's talking about this scenario, right? Nobody is. But what if we see a scenario where there's a really close game there in the Big Ten? Ohio State goes on to win the Big Ten championship. They're 13-0. Well, why is it that Michigan's getting completely thrown out with the bathwater? Why would Michigan not also have the chance to potentially make the college football playoff? Their argument's just as strong as Tennessee's. And yet, I feel like everyone's been kicking around the possibility of Tennessee making the playoff, and rightfully so. I'm not saying it's wrong, but... If we're going to make the case for Tennessee, we must also make the case for a Michigan team that might lose close, maybe even close in the Tennessee loss to Georgia, that might lose close to Ohio State or vice versa. What if Michigan beats Ohio State at their place and it's really, really close? Would Ohio State then at 11-1 to get considered? So we've never seen a two-loss team get into the college football playoff. We've never seen it. Now, there have been years where it's been close, been years where it's been really close. Back in 2017, two-loss Auburn, Playing against one loss Georgia. If Auburn beats Georgia that day, I do think Auburn would have gotten in the college football playoff. I really do. I think they would have gotten in. But they didn't. And there's literally only one time in which a two-loss conference champion had a real argument to be made. That was in 2016. That was Penn State. And where was Penn State when the playoff was going on? They were sitting on their couch preparing for the Rose Bowl. All right, fair enough. Moving on to the Heisman. We're getting into Heisman talk here. Sam in Los Angeles. I don't Angeles. like this Heisman talk. 
I listen, it's it's at least November. All right. We can give it that. The Heisman seems up for grabs without a clear top four. Do you think Bo Nix can overcome his poor first game and win it for Oregon? Yeah, I think he can. Um you know, I think I think Bo Nix is is gonna be the best recruiting tool the Pac 12s had in a long time. <laughs> because Bo Nix pretty average. Obviously in the SEC, pretty average with a pretty average supporting cast around him. I mean, he wasn't a great player by any stretch of the imagination. He was fine. Made some progress last year, but had some ups and downs and was it was okay. Go while he goes out to Oregon, fresh start. Man, doesn't have to beat his head against the wall every week. Like Things are going really good for Oregon, and things are going really good for Bo Nix. I mean, everyone's talking about, oh, well, passing, rushing, and receiving touchdown all in one game. Yeah, it was against Colorado. Like, I'd be more impressed if you did it against Colorado School of the Mines. All right? So, I I don't know. To me, like, I don't, one, I don't like talking Heisman. Y'all know that. I think Heisman's a popularity contest. Uh, I do think that Bo Nix has a couple things working in his favor. He has the story of redemption working. Like, and people fall victim to this stuff, man. Like, I wish they didn't, but like, oh, he's got the story of redemption. Like, people fall in love with the person when they cast their Heisman ballot. People, when it comes to Heisman ballot, care about stats, story, whether or not your team's in playoff contention. That's pretty much it. Oh, and by the way, you better be able, you better play offense. I mean, heaven forbid you play defense because that that would just be inexcusable. And don't give me the example of last year, Aiden Hutchinson making it. No one knew anything, anything. Aiden Hutchinson was on a playoff team. He was the face of a playoff team and was crying after the win against Ohio State. And that's all of a sudden when his stock vaulted as far as the Heisman Trophy is concerned. Okay? Like, give me a break. The Heisman, this is one of the weakest years I've seen for the Heisman. And it's not It's not a negative. It's just every single great player that has had a, quote, Heisman moment has also had a moment in which you were like, uh how could that guy be the best player? You know, whether it be Bo Nix against Georgia, whether it be Hendon Hooker against Georgia, whether it be CJ Stroud against Northwestern. I mean, there's plenty of, like, those are the big three, right? I mean, Blake Corum's been phenomenal. Phenomenal. Like, he would be in the mix for me. But guess who else would be in the mix? Brock Bowers. Yeah, I know he went four weeks without a touchdown, but look how he impacts the game. I mean, watch him. Just watch him. I mean, there's a hundred guys that would be in Heisman consideration if I actually thought they had a chance of winning it. But I don't want to waste my vote putting a guy on the line that has no shot of winning it. But I'm probably going to have to. I've put defensive players on the ballot every single year dating back to 2015 when I got the vote for the first time. I've had a defensive player on the ballot every year. Not because I'm some rebel, but because I read what the award means. Okay, it says the most outstanding player in college football. I I don't recall that saying anything about offense. I don't recall that saying anything about playoff contenders. I don't have recall that saying anything about stats. If it goes to a left guard, like I should have and probably would have if I were bold enough, but I'm not, and if I knew maybe more about offensive line play, but I don't, Quentin Nelson probably had a pretty clear argument to be made a Heisman Trophy winner a few years back when he played guard at Notre Dame. The guy was absolutely kicking butt and taking names every single week. 
Was he the most outstanding player in college football? Yeah, probably. But never going to win the Heisman. So, I don't like talking Heisman. I have a ballot. I will cast my ballot. I will submit my ballot. But it will be a holistic view of college football. It will not be because the writers did a straw poll and tell me who I should vote for. Because there are way too many people that are influenced by things like that when it comes to submitting their ballot. All right, fair enough. Last one here. Matt in Kansas City. After Greg's rant the other week about the length of many coaches' salaries, what are the thoughts on this for a coach like Lance Leopold at Kansas? Is he a coach you want to lock in for five-plus years, hoping he doesn't leave for Nebraska or Wisconsin? He would be a guy, yeah. If you're Kansas, you don't really have much of a chance uh, or you don't really have much of an opportunity because you are in a little bit of a position and no disrespect to Kansas. I love Kansas. Lawrence is one of my top towns. I think it's a phenomenal place. I've gone to games at the fog because it was a bucket list experience for me as a sports fan. Like this is no disrespect, but it's a stepping stool job. You can get mad at me for saying that you can say I'm wrong. You can say like all these other things, excuse me, as Lance Leipold's, Agent is probably calling me as I speak. Uh, should have put my phone on silent, but I didn't. So I apologize there. Uh, it's a stepping stone job. And unfortunately, we need to acknowledge that Kansas is not always going to present you with the opportunities to win big. What Lance Leipold's done is amazing. And yeah, if I were Kansas, I would absolutely, without question, offer up a a contract that would keep him and Lawrence as long as humanly possible. But here's the other thing. Why the heck would Lance Leipold sign it? That's the thing. I mean, it's great to offer it. Like that's, that's fine. Now my argument the other day is you don't have to offer these coaches anything. Why? Because you're at a destination place. You're not going to be able, like, for instance, if you're at, and what did I, what example did I use recently? Uh, we used the example of, uh, you know, Texas or Oklahoma. You know, I know Oklahoma is a circumstance in which you would think that there wouldn't be, a, you know, a place for them to improve. And then, sure enough, Lincoln Riley just left Oklahoma to become SC's head coach. But if you look at some of these places and some of the some of the money that's been floated out there, like Miami, how many coaches have ever left Miami in favor of another institution? None that really come to my mind. Michigan State, for the most part, that's probably about as good as it's going to get. I mean, Penn State, probably about as good as it's going to get. Like, okay, how many jobs are better than Penn State? Like 10, 5, 8, 6? I don't know. I mean, if you're at say Alabama, why do you need to offer a 10-year job? I must just remove Nick Saban from the equation. If you're Alabama, why do you need to offer a, a job that's going to be 10 years? I mean, if you're Texas A&M, do, why do you need to do that? Like, is are someone going to leave? Like, is there a legitimately a, a significantly better opportunity for that coach? But if you're at a place like Kansas where you're probably the 65th best job in America, yeah, yeah, sometimes you have to offer contracts that wouldn't make financial or economical sense in an effort to retain your guy. Now, if you can offer them all the other amenities that those other places can offer them, then yeah, you wouldn't have to 
offer those contracts because he wouldn't be as he wouldn't be as eager to leave potentially. But you can't. And that's why, yes, if I were Kansas, I would offer and back up the Brinks truck, but it won't matter. Because someone else with those amenities, someone else with deep pockets will come in and get him. Because Lance Leipold is not signing a 10-year contract to Kansas. Maybe he will. Maybe he would maybe he'll surprise us all. I hope he does for Kansas fans. But I wouldn't anticipate that. So that is a really good question. I think it just depends. And like I said, maybe I didn't say it with the caveat a couple weeks ago. It depends more on what program you're at than it does on... So basically, the worse your job would be considered, the more you have to pay and the longer the contract has to be. The better your job is, the less you should have to pay and the shorter the contract has to be. So the way I see it. In Kansas right now... They're on the way up, but they still have a long way to go before they catch some of those teams that don't necessarily have to offer such contracts. Starting your own small business can be a total roller coaster. Between all those bumpy twists and turns comes the actual business side of your business, which can really throw you for a loop. Luckily, with QuickBooks, you can manage your business with confidence from the start. So no matter how bumpy the ride gets, you can always stay on track. New business, no problem. Success starts with Intuit QuickBooks. Learn more at quickbooks.com. Do you have ambitious hiring goals for the last quarter of 2022? With a powerful hiring partner, big goals are no big deal. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed makes hiring all in one place so easy because it takes 10 minutes or less for most small business employers to post a job, according to Indeed Data US. Indeed also has a jaw-dropping pool of talent. In fact, three out of four US online job seekers search for jobs on Indeed each month, according to Comstore. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at Indeed.com slash always. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 offer. All right, here we go. Final thought. Putting a bow on what's been a very special edition here as we do it from Bristol, Connecticut. It's been fun actually to do it in the studio. We, uh, we have a live studio audience, by the way. It's one person left. So far, he's here. We got it. All right, but I'll say this. All right. By the way, our first live studio audience. Ain't more to come. We, no, no. You're on to something. I like it. Uh, here's where we're at. All right. Very intrigued currently by the idea of how important are conference championships. Because I think if we, we, we remove the – we've always had this conversation, right? Like, like you remove the banner, if you will of a conference championship. And they've always said it. Like the committee said, hey, we want the four best teams. The four best teams, right? That's, that's, what, that's what everybody wants. That's what we strive for. That's, that's all this. That's great. All right, four best teams. We're going to find out exactly what that means this year. At least it feels like it, right? Maybe more than, maybe more than ever before. Because we could, I mean, it might be unlikely but we could very well find ourselves in a scenario in which a 
arguably the strongest Power Five conference, the SEC, has a two-loss champion. And yet, they beat the team that might still have a stronger resume and lost the team that has a weaker resume. But the weaker resume team in Tennessee and the stronger resume team in Georgia might ultimately find their way into the playoff over the SEC championship in LSU. And that's that's mind-blowing to me. Because I'd always thought, you know, getting into the playoff, I mean, winning your conference championship is ultimately more important than anything else. That was by far the most important thing you could do as a football team. Like that was our goal every year, like win your division, win your conference. That was it. That was the most important thing. But we're going to find out this year whether the committee really means it. Because we're going to have a very battle-tested Big 12 champion. It might not be TC, it might be TCU with one loss. Maybe it's TCU at 12 and 1. TCU's legit. If they can get through the Big 12, win their conference at 12 and 1, they have a very strong argument to get in the college football playoff. Right? I think the Pac-12 is really good. Yo, they have four teams ranked in the top 13. The Pac-12, the weakest division. No, no the Pac-12 has four teams in the top 13. It's as strong as it's been a really long time. Well, there's going to be one champion. There might be some carnage. There's going to be one champion. Does that hold weight over, say, a one-loss Tennessee or a one-loss Ohio State? It's going to be really interesting. I think we finally might have some clarity as to whether or not conference championships really matter. Because I get the sense in the 12-team world, conference championships aren't going to mean jack. Now, you're going to say, well, you get to host a home playoff game. Agree. Very important. Very significant. But ultimately, you're going to have a lot of rematches. So... You know, does a conference championship matter that much in a 12-team playoff format? I don't know. But in a 14-team playoff format, the grand all, be all, has always been the conference championship. Will it be in 2022? We're going to find out. That'll do it for us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. Thanks to Jack Foster. Thanks to Mark Kubiak. They stayed up late with me. Jack doesn't have kids, but he could basically be Kubiak's kid. So I appreciate Kubiak staying extra late. Staying up extra late for Jack today. Very, very nice. It's very, very paternal of you, if you will. I guess that's the right word. I don't know. Like I said, it's after eight. I'm dead to the world. Okay? For all of us here at Always College Football, I'm Greg McElroy. He's Mark Kubiak. He's Jack Foster. We'll see you tomorrow. It's Always College Football.